sports fans, don't be sad that the NFL season is rapidly coming to a close because we still have the NBA, MLB, WNBA, and the XFL coming this spring. And Epson just hooked me up with this new Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector, including their optional 120-inch silver flex screen. If you're out there looking for a new 75-inch or 85-inch TV, don't do that. You have no idea what you're missing. Imagine having an epic 120-inch mega screen in your home. It's like having four 60-inch TVs mounted on your wall. Introducing the new Epson Epic Vision Ultra LS800 projector. This new type of television experience uses Epson's amazing three-chip, three-LCD laser projection technology to produce an immersive, super bright 4K Pro UHD picture. And with a 120-inch picture, this is truly epic. You see all the action. Trust me, unless you're there live, this is the next best thing. Go big, go epic. Go to epson.com forward slash wake up to learn more about the Epic Vision Ultra LS800 laser projector. Again, that's epson.com forward slash wake up. And like Epson says, bring the sports book experience home. Hey everybody, welcome back to America's Game, episode number 32. I am your host, Eric Vanek. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Vanek NFL. And as always, joined by my co-host, Scott Connor. Scott, it's a destination, man. We are finally here. How you doing? Yeah, your ass is lucky that I decided to come back for another show. Could have yeah. cut it off at 31 after our Baskin-Robbins show from last week, but uh, decided to come back, start over. 32 ready to roll this should be a good one this is like the most dead period that possible in in dynasty other than the summer before training camps and after like otas so the kind of searching for things to talk about but there's always something to talk about so ready for this one man yeah for sure there's been some news like coaching hires and stuff and we have uh Bien-Ami. maybe he's gonna be with the redskins or the commanders now uh so we'll see what he's gonna be able to do if he signs there you know, and goes and be their offensive coordinator. So that'll be interesting too. But now, nah, man, I, I agree with you. We got a, you know, it's a slow period right now, but we got a special guest with us as always. First or actually second time on with us, old Ray GQ. Ray, what's going on, man? What's going on, fellas? Um, yeah, this second time on the show. So, uh, Eric, you've been doing a fantastic job over here uh, with the show and, 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 and delivering actionable and entertaining content scott you know you're 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 a pro at this man you've uh gone on quite the podcast tour this past week but uh excited to be on with y'all and chop it up it's uh it's an interesting time in the nfl right now um from you know a lot of the times everyone after the season is is concluded everybody just pivots immediately immediately to rookies and like that's the big talk but I'm I'm intrigued by this quarterback free agent market in the NFL. I'm intrigued by just the coaching changes and even more so than the past. I think more time probably needs to be spent on the current NFL players, landing spots for free agents, 
more so than these rookies. And I get everyone's excited for it, but I think there's a lot of value that can be gained if we really tap in to what's happening across the NFL landscape with, with coaching changes, OC changes, defensive coordinator changes and free agent movement. That's rookies are fun and great, but man, I, I think there's, you build your roster through the guys that are already there. And, and I don't, I don't know if enough content and enough conversation is surrounded, you know, is surrounding the NFL um, in general right now, but I'm excited to be on and chop it up, but y'all have no clue what we're going to talk about today. So uh, this should be a fun one. Yeah. Um, one of the things I did want to bring up is, you know, with, you know, your second time being down at the senior bowl and uh, this time you were with TDN. So you were on the field and, you know, I saw some of your videos that you posted in our, uh, in our discord channel. So that was pretty cool to see, but how was your experience being down there, man, and being on the field and seeing these guys pretty much up close and personal? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, it was a good experience. It was a, it was a good experience to be so close to the game. You know, the, the, the beautiful thing about the senior bowl is any and everybody is allowed access to the players. As long as you're credentialed at certain points of the practices, but to actually be on the field, damn near standing in the huddle at times, right on the sidelines, talking to those guys and, you know, being able to 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 have a conversation with them off of the practice field in a more private setting to where they're not on because they don't really know who you are. They have no clue if you're a secret agent for a team, uh, you know, whatever. They have no clue who you are, so they're always on, but – I think that was my bigger takeaway than a lot of stuff that happened on the field. Of course, there were a couple of things that happened on the field that makes you kind of go back and say, all right, let me dive into this player a little bit more. But for what we're here to do, E, as far as from a fantasy perspective, I, I didn't I didn't walk away from that. And there there was no seismic shift in a rank in a, you know, in a movement, high or low. I think it was a good little data point. It's the most impactful uh, all-star game in the you know pre-draft process. But I didn't walk away from that thing and say this guy's a top five player. This guy's a you know that he should be going top top half of rookie drafts. I think it was just it was a good experience. It was good to be around those players. And I think more so than anything, a lot of those guys that were at the Senior Bowl are going to make up you know the third round of our rookie draft, the mid to late second, and provide a lot of quality depth for our rosters. Was there anybody like running back wise, receiver wise, tight end wise, even court? I mean, the quarterbacks were dog shit, but uh, anybody that really stood out for you in a fantasy lens that you think is going to really be helping us in our round two, round three in our rookie drafts this year? The biggest takeaway, and I think the most impactful player from a fantasy perspective was probably Luke Musgrave, uh, the tight end from Oregon State, you know, that we know the position is all over the place year to day, you know, year after year. But I do think that's a player who probably helped himself tremendously. He was already getting, you know, top 45, top 50 buzz prior to the senior bowl. And I believe that with his performance in mobile and probably what he's going to run and test as uh, during the combine here in the next couple of days, he's probably cemented himself as a top 32 pick. I, I have little doubt about that. He was massive. I mean, in person, he's all of six foot five, six six, and a lot of times when you see tight ends like that, like they're just very slender down low. Like they just they're not built really well. 
Uh, Musgrave was put together from top to bottom. Uh, he looked like a guy that can play in line. It's your traditional why, uh, or you can even flex him out and use him at receiver. I mean, he was doing one-on-one drills against uh, the SEC defensive backs. There was a guy uh, from LSU. He got deep on a couple of other players that are really good players that are going to get drafted. So uh, I think he was the most impactful player from a fantasy perspective. Uh, all the buzz and hype, Tajay Spears, he was good. He is good. And I graded him out in my film grades prior to Mobile. And film-wise, just film, not a ranking. He was, he was top five before. Just off of you, you put on the tape, you look at his skill set, what he can do. I, too, think he cemented himself as a day-two pick. I do believe that Tajay Spears will be selected on day two of the NFL draft. And, you know, he came in almost 10 pounds heavier than he was listed at and didn't look slow at all. Uh, it was time to GPS track and is one of the fastest players down there. Uh, Scott got to see your boy Chris Rodriguez in person. He's a big human being uh, with slow feet, but I'm not going to double knock Chris Rodriguez for that because I don't think his game is predicated on quick twitch movement um, and a lot of lateral quickness. He's a hammer and he displayed that. So I think Luke Musgrave, Tajay Spears, and I'm going to tell you one that I'm, I'm struggling with y'all and I'm probably going to get burned again, but Tank Dell, Nathaniel Tank Dell from Houston uncoverable. I mean, and this is a player who for back-to-back seasons, I believe went over 1300 yards after transferring from a Juco to Houston led the country in receiving last year. I mean, receptions, yards, touchdowns, just dominant for two seasons at Houston goes to mobile. And I'm telling you, cause I'm right there on the field. The NFL coaches had to, they were like telling defensive backs, Hey, get up there. Someone get on him. Nobody wanted to cover him because nobody wanted him to make them look stupid in front of NFL scouts. There was a couple of corners who said, all right, I'll do it. But just yards of separation, play after play. Um, he's probably going to run very fast. He's a, I, I know the easy comparison is, oh, Tutu Atwell. He is 10 times the wide receiver from a technical standpoint that Tutu Atwell was. And we saw him get drafted in the second round. So Tank Dell, the big issue is he's five foot eight, 163 pounds. What does that mean in today's NFL where you can't hit high, you can't hit low, it's three wide receiver sets, it's base formation, quick passing, the game is, it's, it's not a big man's game anymore, it's a speed game. And can Tank Dell change the math that a defensive coordinator has to account for? I think so, but fantasy-wise, you just I, I, I can't envision him being, you know, a hundred-something target a season guy, but you're just asking who looked good and who I think helped their stock. I think Tank Dell was a big riser at the receiver position. Yeah, that's one that I've looked in a little bit more since the senior bowl because you see his draft capital. You know, you could potentially see him go like probably not round two, but like early round three. So he's going to be in that intriguing range where I think I would typically say don't draft receivers that are round three picks. But I would be lying if you said you don't see some hits that come out of that range. You would rather just bet on the fact that we've had this conversation in the discord a ton. If you have a receiver that's around three or around four pick and they hit, guess what you probably can get. You get year two buyback in bias because people are biased against them because of their draft capital, right? They go, well, yeah, that guy had a good rookie year, but there's no way he's as good as those numbers he put up as his rookie because he was a fourth round pick. He was a third round pick. There's no way he's that good. 
But a lot of times when you do produce like that as a rookie, you are probably pretty good. So we probably can get a discount buying back in on year two. The tough thing with Tank Dell, though, you, I mean, if you just give him the fact that 5'9", 165, and I think he's actually smaller than that. And what he, I mean, I think he measured in at 5'8", 163. The physical comps, like historically in the NFL, there's only been like seven guys that little that have even played since 2000. And I'd give you the names and it's like, Trendon Holiday, Dexter McCluster, Tutu Atwell, and Craig Yeast are the only receivers that have played since then. So it's just it, it's a it's a niche. I hate the analysis of he's better for your team than fantasy, or he's better for best ball than not. But like, wouldn't you think it, it's pretty fair to say that's the, that's the case? Yeah, exactly. That, that's the overwhelming bet. You're you're getting ninety five percent chance or more that that's what he is, which for a lineup league just makes me not interested. So I think you just relegate him to a best ball only player, which puts him in a certain spot in terms of where you're going to draft him. So I think it's, that's my analysis on him. There's really nothing more that can change. Even if he goes late round two, I I don't really care. He's going to be where he's going to be. Yeah. And that's, that's the interesting, that's, uh, you know, Eric, you asked me about player takeaways it's how the NFL values these guys. For fan, it, It's different. For fantasy football, yeah, you've got to sure. start 10 guys or you're starting 11 players, right? In the NFL, you could cycle through offensively. They can have a package where you've got 20-plus players offensively that have a role on an NFL team. And you listen to scouts. You listen to evaluators at the – because they're all just talking about it. None of them care that he's 5'8". None of them care that he's 160-something pounds that the conversation around him was he's every one of these corners that are, and there were some big corners there. I mean, you've got Julius Brents from K state. That's all of six foot three, 200 pounds, Rajon Wright, six, two, 195 pounds. I mean, there were big dudes out there that the, the press, you don't even want to do that because if you jam and miss, you're done for, right? So they're playing off coverage. They're in bail technique. As soon as off, uh, off the line of scrimmage, and these are guys that will be playing on Sunday. So the NFL evaluators are like, I don't give a shit that he's five foot eight, 160 pounds. Like I can use that guy. And I think that's an area where for fantasy, if you're just relying on the draft capital, you can get caught in some traps because you'll be like, oh, it's a second round pick. But the, the way that NFL GMs and head coaches and OCs build teams, they will draft somebody for a specific role. And they're like, you know what? He's worth a second round pick because he's going to be able to do this, unlock parts of the offense, and he's we'll be able to deploy him in certain ways. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing for fantasy, right? Again, you're only throwing out 10 guys, 11 guys, and there is no substitutions midway through your matchup on Sundays. You got to roll with that cat. So to your point, Scott, I know it's it's lazy, it's cliche to say better for best ball, but I do think this is where best ball does allow for your rookie draft pool to expand a little bit because he is a player that I would love to have on a best ball roster with the, with the right amount of uh, roster spots. If you can, if he gets the capital and you can get a player who can change the math for you offensively and be a deep play threat, be an explosive weapon. And I don't have to think about when I have to start him sign me up. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to spend premium capital on it, but that's where you got to be careful with just leaning in on the draft capital with these players. Yeah, he should definitely be a best ball target for any of our leagues that we're in with best ball. So 
that's a guy that if he goes to the right situation, he ends up with a really good quarterback, good offense, whatever it is. He's going to be a guy that's going to be able to make plays. So, yeah, I'm definitely been intrigued by him since uh, you came back from the Senior Bowl and talked about him. Obviously, he was blowing up on Twitter. Everyone was talking about him. So definitely uh, excited to see what he can do at the Combine. Another one that I wanted to bring up real quick, though, uh, was Chase Brown, the running back from Illinois. Um, he definitely was a guy I was very intrigued with when you were going to uh, see him at the Senior Bowl, but it looked like he just struggled quite a bit. You know, pass blocking was horrendous, uh, dropped some passes, fumbles, you know, whatever the case. Did your opinion kind of change on him at all because of the Senior Bowl, or you still, you know, like him as like a top, 10 to 12 running back in the class. He's still fast. Um, and he's put together. Well, I had high expectations. I thought he would go, what you want to see. Here's what you want to see from the top players that are going into the senior bowl. You just want to see him dominate. Like you just want to see the top guys. Okay. Uh, you know, let's take, and I know he didn't do much Najee Harris, right? When he went to the senior bowl, he did his drills. He did that. And you can tell, okay, that's the best running back out here. Cool. Good. Get out of here. You're done. Chase Brown, what led the country in Russian last year, uh, was a all big 10 player. Think he was an all American. I believe maybe not first team, but I believe he was an all American. I expected him to dominate. I expected from day one for Chase Brown to look like the dude first running back up and running back drills for that side, Roshan Johnson. The running back who looked the best, you know, early on, Roshan Johnson, Evan Hull. He just looked like a guy. Didn't really get to see him utilize his speed. Uh, uh, got rocked a couple of times, fumbling the ball. Couldn't really catch it. I mean, did he did he drop for me? Maybe a little bit, but I just it's film, right? I just expected right. him to be the guy, and he just looked like a guy out there, not the guy. So. Little disappointing uh, to to see that performance. And uh, here's the thing: he's a running back, so if he gets drafted, I bet he's going to get carries. I mean, name name a uh, every rookie running back, whether we thought they were good or bad last year, got an opportunity to get on the field. Every last one, the, name them. They got a, they got a check. Kyron Williams, who everyone hated after the combine, he got on the field this year. Isaiah Spiller on the field at moments this season. So if he gets drafted. He's probably going to get on the field. He's a running back. He's a body, and he's fast. So there you go. That's kind of Chase Brown in a nutshell. Yeah, it'll probably just depend on his draft capital and where he ends up, but I'm I mean, still intrigued by him. To Ray's point, uh, Mock Draft Database just did a, a resweep of all of their data. So I'm just going to throw this out there. From pick 64, which this year 64 is the start of the third round because of the stupid Dolphins pick that they forfeited in the first, right? So pick 64 is the first pick of the third round. They have as follows. Now they have Bijan, Jameer Gibbs going in the first, and Devon A-Chain going in the second. I think we kind of expect that. Whether Gibbs goes in the right. first or not, I do think we expect those to be the, the favorites to be the first three running backs. But after that, and Ray has said this a couple times, like he hasn't seen hardly any running backs being mocked in round two other than A-Chain and some Gibbs and, you know, Bijan going in round one. So at pick 64, first pick of the third round, they have Zach Charbonnet, okay? Between pick 64 and pick 145, which by my calculation would be the second to last pick of the true third round or fourth round, before you get into the comp picks, I, I might be off by a pick or two, but it's basically right before you get into the comp picks. Cause there's an extra, you know, 10, 12 picks at the end of each round. Right. Right. 
So between the first pick and the third and the end of the true fourth round picks, you got Zach Charbonnet, Zach Evans, Sean Tucker, Tajay Spears, Kenny McIntosh, Tank Bigsby, Deuce Vaughn, Kendra Miller, Eric Gray, Dwayne McBride, Chase Brown, Roshan Johnson, and Israel Abanaconda. So I just railed off one, two, three, four, 13. five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 running backs in that cluster. And how much have we talked about on this entire channel all offseason of figuring out a way to tier those guys once you see the landing spot? Because with what I just said, there's not going to be real ease where you can go, oh, Ray, Chase Brown got drafted 10 spots after this guy. He must be worse. Because in that range, how many different styles of running backs do you have in that range? Four, Three five. or four different styles of yeah. running backs probably. Yeah. So teams are going to go, well, I need this guy. I don't need that guy. So we're not going to take Tajay Spears. We're going to take Chris, you know, Chase Brown. Just simply because that's what they need. So you can't look at the draft capital and go, oh, well, this guy went mid-third. This guy went late-third. He's clearly better than him. For fantasy, we don't know that. So I think you almost look at this class and say, you need to have a way to figure out, okay, how am I going to break these ties? Some of them are going to take care of themselves. Some of these guys, no joke, a team could take two of these guys and then they already have two guys on their team. And you're like, Oh shit, that Washington commanders take two guys in this range. And you're going, what the fuck do we do with the backfield now? Right. Cause they have four guys, right? Like you could see that you could see a player go to a landing spot that has nobody. And if it's a guy that people like, if it's Zach Evans, if it's Sean Tucker, that guy's going up in the late first and we're not going to want him either. Cause he's too expensive, but all the rest without saying I can use draft capital as a tiebreaker. And half the time, we're not even good at picking out landing spots. We think San Fran's a great landing spot, and then the guy they pick stinks. We think this landing spot sucks, and then a guy goes there, and he's awesome. So how do we break the ties? And I think little things like what you said about Chase Brown matter. you got to have these things filed away and go, okay, especially our rookie drafts that start the damn, damn day after the draft ends or the night. I have some drafts that start Saturday night. I'm not going to be able to wait for a week's worth of data and go, well, this is what the boards look like. This is what people are doing out there. No, I got to make the decision right there. Yeah. So you got to start that process early and you got to have a way to already know. Like, that's why I like Ray's breakdowns because he's already, you already have 90% of the work done. You're probably not going in and tweaking too much based on the draft capital and the landing spot. You might tweak the market perception of players. Because you know there's going to be players people love and you know there's going to be players that people hate and the landing spots are going to move the needle on those slightly one way or the other. But you got to have a way to decipher. And this is a class where if you hit and you hit right, I think there could be a big payoff. If you hit wrong, you may end up with a bunch of zeros. And then one quick point I want to make on Tank Dell, this is the difference between best ball and non-best ball. In, in non-best ball, I don't want Tank Dell at all. You know what I want? Every one of those running backs I just mentioned, right? But in best ball, I'll give you the Royal Rumble example because we just did the mock draft on Royal Rumble a couple weeks ago. I don't want to draft nine of those running backs because just the odds say four or five of them are going to be complete zeros. They're going to be Tyrion Davis prices. They're going to be Ty Chandlers. They're going to be Chris Evans where it's like, yeah, sure. He's on the 53-man roster. But you know how many touches he's getting a week? Zero. You know how many snaps he's getting? One, two. Like you don't want those guys in best ball. So I think that that is the big difference in best ball and non-best ball is in non-best ball, dude, give me every one of those running backs in that range because all of them have a decent shot of potentially giving me spot starts down the road. 
best ball, you got to limit how many of those shots you take, which means you need to be more picky. You don't want six. You need to pick out the one or two that you feel real confident they're going to have a role. Scott, let me let me just say this. So in my um, sort of outline for like my film grades for the running back position, if they score anywhere between like a 6.0 and let's just say like a 6.7, they're all in the fantasy flex with upside. But outside of the top 24, outside, they're like after 24, like, you know, RB 25 through 36. Let me tell you how many of those guys are within that range of one another. Kendra Miller, Roshan Johnson, Tank Bigsby, Zach Evans, Israel Abanacanda, Kenny McIntosh, Dwayne McBride, Sean Tucker, and Chase Brown. All are all of those guys are 6.4 to 6.9. They're all in the same cluster, man. They're like they, they are truly all in the same range. Now, I, I think the the good thing about this class is what we're going to be able to tell on draft night is what team wants to do what with which running back, okay? Because Deuce Vaughn, I know he's t- he's going to get drafted higher than everybody thinks, and you know what his role is going to be, right? If Kenny McIntosh somehow gets that early, that, you know, mid to high, you know, uh, round three capital and he lands on a team with a proper bell cow running back in the traditional sense of the word, like he's probably going to be a pass catcher. Like that's going to be his calling card because he's not – He's not very good in between the tackles. He can do it. But, you know, Roshan Johnson, I think I, – I just want to say, I think people need to be careful with Roshan because you look at him, and I remember saying this last year. Eric, remember when I told – I know you vividly remember when I was at the Senior Bowl last year, and I was like, Brian Robinson just looked like – like, as soon as he walked by, you're like, that's a fucking NFL running back. Like, compared to everybody else, you look at B-Rob, and you're like, Roshan was that guy. I mean, you walk into the room – He's bigger than everybody. I mean, he's fucking huge, right? And he, he's put together. He's fast. I can I can cut 10 clips of Roshan Johnson and the 10 most impressive plays are him pass protecting. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, that, he could play on special teams. He's a great pre- pass protector on third downs. He can run and he can catch. I think he's going to get drafted in that third round range, but I don't, I don't, I don't envision Roshan being a a, a, a true difference making running back like that, but he's going to be an awesome NFL. Like if your team drafts Roshan Johnson, you are very happy, right? I just, th- this class is Dwayne McBride. He ain't catching no passes. None. Like it's just not happening. He's an early down grinder. It's you got the speed guys, the Abana Candas, the, the Tuckers, the Browns. That's, that's all they do. They're just fast, right? You got the complete backs like a, like a Bijan Robinson, a Zach Charbonnet, you got it's it's going to be fascinating, and I, I hate to say landing spot matters, but damn it, it's going to matter in twenty three. I've got to see where these guys go before there's any sort of numerical ranking or order in which I'll take them. I've got to see which teams draft them. Ray, is there a little? Is there a little Antonio Gibson to Roshan Johnson where people are going to see him and just expect that he can just be this monster? And then for some reason they keep wondering why there's always other guys around him getting touches. You know, he's not getting every target. He's not getting every goal line attempt, even though you plug him into something like player profiler, they're going to go, holy shit, it's Derek Henry, but with hands, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then you go, well, wait a second. 
why isn't that happening? Why are we two years into his NFL career and he's just not being used that way? It kind of feels like that might be the track that he goes because I have heard people say he's the closest thing to Derrick Henry we've had in a couple of years, you know, and I'm like, Ugh. you know, not saying that's unfair, yeah. but I've had people talk about, you know, he's the the biggest size speed freak we've seen in the draft at running back in a couple of years. And I'm like, that sounds like Antonio Gibson. Yeah, and even then, and he's not the receiver that Gibson was. 58.1 receiving grade according to PFF. You know, I gave him a three, which is just average. I think he can catch the ball. Do not think he's a pass-catching weapon. Um, 10-plus yard runs, 12.7%. of It's one of the lowest in this class. It's in the bottom tier of this class. Now, granted, he's sharing the field with B. John Robinson, right? So I get it, but... I, I think that he's going he's going to test very well and he's already confirmed measurements at six foot 220 pounds. And the Texas, the Texas helmet, man, it's 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 he played with Bijan and he got on the field with B. He's good. I, I graded him high, but I just I want I think we just gotta be careful with that one because he is going to look the part when when you're just talking about you know, the peripherals, it's, he's going to look like a stud running back in the making. And I just don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's that, if he's that guy, man. So one quick thing I wanted to go back on is Dwayne McBride, you were mentioning, and I've listened to Mel Kuyper uh, this week on his podcast. And he brought it up that McBride is a, is a pretty good pass catcher and that the UAB offense just did not throw the ball to the to the running backs at all so i was just kind of curious about that if, if that's why he has him so high brugler has him high so it's going to be interesting to see maybe in uh when we watch the uh, nfl network version of the combine and maybe he goes out there and looks better catching the ball that's one of the good things about the combine being on tv we can at least see it how do they how do they come to that determination how how do they feel no idea how do <laughs> the dude had 10 targets like literally, I think what, yeah. what is how, how do you it, get to it's that? It's funny because Matt Waldman on uh, Dwayne McBride, he did his podcast where he went through every running back in the class. So I listened to it because it's rapid fire. It's like Ray, every running back that's eligible, it's like fifty of them. Tell me one or two things about each one. And his his thirty seconds on Dwayne McBride was like one of the worst running backs in the class. He even said his ceiling is Craig Reynolds. He's like, this guy is horrible. And so it's it's yeah. funny to hear Ray say that and then Matt Waldman say that and then Dane Brugler and Mel Kuyper love the guy. So it's like, what the right. fuck? You know what I, I mean? I think he's a good running. I, I don't, I'm not as harsh as Waldman. I gave, I gave him for vision and patience. He got the second highest grade. He's tied with Bijan. He got a 4.5 out of 5. Uh, his acceleration and burst is decent. It just, I think that's all he is. And the fact that Mel is saying that he can catch, I'm just like. Right. <laughs> You, you know who McBride – I think McBride is a good runner. He Between the tackles, you hand him the ball, I think he's fine. But, I mean, uh, 52.4 receiving grade, according to PFF, it's the second lowest in the class. Only behind <laughs> Lou Nichols and uh, Cam Run Peoples. That's it. Lou Nichols and Cam Run Peoples. That's it for the running backs that we, we care about. Second, third lowest. Just He just can't catch. And I don't know how the hell – they come to that summation when he didn't when he didn't he didn't ever do it at UAB. Right. So maybe they were at UAB practices, whereas I wasn't. So maybe they <laughs> right, know. yeah. I mean, he was just saying it's just that that offense doesn't throw to the running back. So 
I don't know where they came up with it, but that's one of the tidbits I caught um, that I remember for sure. I mean, if he only had 10 catches in his career, though, where do you ever see that he could do it? Exactly. Like, you literally had to be like, I've watched the guy work out for two hours catching balls, and he looked fluid doing it. Like, that really could be the only way. Because I bet you half those catches of his 10 in his career were like, oh, shit, let's dump it off type plays. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to even say you take anything from it. I mean, it's probably just hearsay about what they're hearing from other scouts and other people that have seen maybe their practices and whatnot. That's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, his coach and his agent are talking about his receiving ability. Right, right. I agree. But no, shout out to Ray, though, man. He did a uh, a breakdown on McBride and a bunch of other guys. That's one of the uh, reasons to join the Discord, join the um, the Patreon channel, All Gas. You know, Ray has put out, I, mean, I couldn't even remember all of them off the top of my head, but there's at least Zach Evans, McBride, Kendra Miller, uh, Band of Kanda we did, JSN was just this week. Couple other guys, I'm sure I'm missing. Oh, Tajay Spears, Spears we did. Zach yep. Evans, yeah, yep. yep, yep. So shout out to Ray, man. If you guys want to see a lot of these film breakdowns that Ray goes through, he goes through about three or four games. Takes about an hour each video, and really breaks down how these guys look, how they're hitting the holes, their vision, going through everything. So definitely a big. Uh, bonus. It's worth the price of admission just to join for that, honestly, uh, for me. So make sure you guys check that out if you want to see some more um, action of these guys. And one of the ones that you did do that I am kind of baffled on is Kendra Miller. And when you did Kendra Miller, I was messaging you about him like I I was in love with this guy. And just everything That's about him. Is, That's putting it yeah, lightly. Yeah, just we'll, we'll, we'll say he was like, like my my Ty yeah. Chandler of this class. Yeah, almost. yeah, you like Kendra, but you look at Mel's top ten. You look at Dane Brugler's top fifteen. Lance Zierlein's top fifteen, and Kendra's not even on the list. Is there something we're missing on Kendra? Am I just getting too far ahead of my love of Kendra, or what do you think the problem is there? I honestly don't know. I mean, you're talking about a player who's six foot, 220 pounds. Um, there's verified um, GPS miles per hour tracking on him. He's explosive. Uh, he was productive. I mean, he's part of the reason why Zach Evans had to transfer out of TCU because he knew that it was going to be the Kendra Miller show in 2022. I, I wonder how much his non-performance in the playoffs because he tweaked his MCL – I wonder how much that's factoring into it, but I, I just I can't see a world in which I'm seeing, you know, some of these other backs being mentioned inside the top 15, and then no Kendra Miller. So I don't I don't know what it is. I here's here's my fear for Miller, and I just hope he doesn't do it. So I I, I don't know how long MCL injuries take to, to heal, but what I don't want him to do is go to the combine on a fast track at less than a hundred percent try to perform and then just test like absolute shit and just get buried with draft capital. Because I mean, at that point, if, if he doesn't get the capital, he's not going to get the opportunity. If he doesn't get the opportunity, like Scott says, I don't have two years to wait on a running back. So I, I just, I, I really hope he's okay because I think if he is okay and he does test, because I think he'll test real well for a 220 pound running back. I think that will be the catalyst that he needs to start to get his name talked about because he should do well in the short shuttle. 
He should do well in the 40-yard dash. But if he's not 100%, and even if even if the knee is 100, if he hadn't been 100%, I mean, they, they showed him during the national championship game warming up, and he clearly was not, like, he couldn't have, I mean, he's limping around. So did he even have time to prep for this thing? I just, if I'm Kendra, I just pause the combine and wait until my pro day. It That's my limited outsider information looking in. Uh, this could be a cat, Eric, that we end up being able to snag at the back of the third if he doesn't get the capital right. I, I th- I'm telling you, you can't you can't watch his tape and tell me he's not a top ten running back in this class. I don't I don't care who it is. I'll challenge I'll challenge anybody who has Dwayne McBride as a top five running back and Kendra not inside the top fifteen. I call bullshit on that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. It's um it's the same with the Sean Tucker. We love him in the fantasy space. Where's he at? amongst people's top 10, top 15, low, you know? So uh, it's 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 going to be interesting to see how all of this plays out with these running backs. I'll give Kendra a little bit of a pass because there's a lot of guys in this class, and I know age doesn't necessarily matter for running backs, but I do think there is something to be said about guys that are even in the mix at him and, him and Izzy are both like 20 and a half years old. So like to... Not that they get an extra leash, but I do think there are probably teams that prefer running backs that come out really, really early and young because maybe they have a little, like there's some running backs in this class that are 23 and 24. Like there can be some maturity that happens in between those years too. So, I mean, that that's at least like a thing. If I have to break a tie between him and three other guys, it would be something that I would break a tie on. But yeah, it is interesting you say that. I, I did want to ask you, Ray, on uh guy going to the combine – you kind of mentioned him if he goes there and then tries to push through stuff just because like he thinks he needs to go out there and prove himself who with the combine you think as a running back can be a, the biggest winner with something that they do like a metric, some, something that they measure in on something they test on like anybody where you're it's, like, all right, we might be talking differently about this guy in three it's weeks. The 40 it's the, for running back. It's always the 40, you know, you get those guys that go out there and run real fast They've got they've got the chance to propel themselves. I don't care about the short shuttle, the broad jump, all that shit is the appetizer to the main dish. And the main dish at running back is the 40. So players that I anticipate being big risers coming out of that, I would say Tajay Spears, but I, I at this point I think he's risen enough and I think people kind of know. I think Izzy Abanacanda will be one because he is young. And if he is five foot ten, five eleven, two fifteen. And go sub four four people NFL teams that take notice, right? Sean Tucker, another one, not really talked about in that high third second rounder. He's a track guy. He should run fast. I still question how the NFL is going to view a Syracuse running back. So we'll have to see there. And then the one, the third one that I think could be a massive riser, and we've already kind of talked about him a little bit, is Roshan Johnson. Just playing at Texas, the the you know. One of those type of programs with the history of running backs playing next to Bijan Robinson. And here's the thing: here's an underrated aspect of the scouting world. Any team that's scouting Bijan Robinson, they're also going to see Roshan Johnson at the same time because there were a lot of formations at Texas where Roshan and Bijan were on the same field at the same time. And a lot of that, a lot of what Roshan was doing was blocking for Bijan Robinson. But they're going to see him in conjunction with their film study of Bijan, and there, and if you watch Texas, they look very similar in the backfield. So there's times where I'm like, oh, there we go, Bijan, and it's damn Roshan, 
right? Oh, there you go, Roshan, and it's Bijan. So don't underrate the fact that they're going to get multiple eyes on Roshan Johnson in other aspects other than him running. And I think he's going to be another one of those guys post-combine. It's it's always the speed guys, though. Scott, it's Chase Brown, it's Izzy Abanacanda, it's Sean Tucker, it's it's Roshan Johnson, the guys that I think could be big risers. And conversely, if Tank Bigsby goes out there and runs real slow, you know, Zach Evans doesn't run fast, Dwayne McBride runs slow, I think those I think you will see a seismic shift in RB rankings. And I don't know if you listened to uh the most recent Move the Sticks pod, but they were talking about A-Chain during his training. They went and saw him, and they were just like different level of speed, like unreal, like superpower is his speed. So right. he he might be the one that leaving there, people are just like, this dude's not getting out of the top 50. You know, he's going to be a top 50 pick. I don't care how big he is. You move, you run in 4-2 with the, in the SEC with his production, we're, we're going to take you. I think what's going to be interesting at the combine when they do line up to do the 40s, they do them in alphabetical order. So you have a Bandicanda first, then the A-chain back-to-back. Could those guys both do like 4-3 four, four, uh, right back-to-back? That would the, be pretty insane. And, and, and what will happen? What will happen, Eric, if they go sub-4-3 back-to-back? Wow. Yeah, that would be the buzz of Twitter. Twitter will It'll be, melt. It, 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 it will it will. <laughs> It will push Izzy to levels where I'm just not comfortable taking him. Like people would just be like, "This dude's 210 pounds, and he just ran as fast as Devon A. Chain." This, this, that's a good little point. Who's next? Who would be after that? It's gonna ruin it for Tank Bigsby, who's gonna look slow as fuck after A. Chain. Oh no, Bigsby. Bigsby's got to follow A. Chain. He's gonna be like, "Shit, man." Well, we take a break. Rodriguez has to follow Bijan, so that's not fun either. So, but Yeah. yeah. Do we think, um, because this is one of the true, uh, if you look back at the elite bell cow running backs, we've talked about this before, Ray, if you sort them by the guys that have just averaged at least 18 opportunities a game or more for their career, they all look something like Zeke Elliott, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, like they're big, but they're also, they're not necessarily the fastest guys, but they're guys where you're like four or five or faster. You know what I mean? They're not slow. Any chance Charbonnet gets into that range? Is there a chance he could go four or five or under? Because he's a legit 6'1", 222, I believe is what he's at. I think so. There, I, and I'm just, I'm just asking because I think we haven't really talked about the potential that even if he doesn't get like first round draft capital, which we know is not happening, even if he doesn't get second round draft capital, he could profile like somebody that you're like, damn, he's 6'1", he's 222, and he ran a 4'5". Like that that's not like Zeke or Mixon, but it's pretty damn close. You know, it's it at his size, it's pretty close. And this is a guy you might be able to get it, it might go in the third round of the NFL draft. Like relatively speaking, I think he's probably getting dinged a little bit because of how the NFL views this type of running back now than how they did five, ten years ago. It, is there a chance you think he could run that fast? Uh I do. I do. I mean, there's there's mile per hour tracker on him that I think he's top close to twenty one miles per hour. Um, in game, uh, fifth for me in my film grade, 7.33, only behind Spears, A-Chain, Gibbs, and Bijan. And if you just look at his PFF metrics, um, burst and acceleration is something that I, I think is arguably like the second most important trade a running back needs to have. 22.68% uh, of his runs were 10 plus yards. And that is second highest in this class, only next to 
Zach Evans, not Bijan Robinson, who was 15.95. Um, his yards uh, after contact per attempt, 4.2, right up there, tied with Bijan Robinson, only behind Dwayne McBride and Tajay Spears and Cameron Peoples, if we want to throw him out there. Um, his, his receiving grade, also ahead of Bijan Robinson, only behind in this class for a player that big. He's only behind Eric Gray, Kenny McIntosh. And uh, Jameer Gibbs. That's it. Bijan's is lower. Uh, A-Chain's receiving grade is lower. Uh, Evan Hull's receiving grade is lower. So you're talking about one of the most well-rounded running backs in this class. And with my film grades, I don't make a lot of adjustments. But right now, I have Charbonnet as a 3.5 in that out of 5, which is a little above average. 3 is like average, a little above average. He goes out there and runs a 4.5 or potentially sub 4.5. And I just changed that number in my rankings right now. And that would move him ahead of Tajay Spears and right behind Devon A-Chain. So uh, he is one of the players who profiles like a true three-down back that at least is being mocked in ranges that he'll probably get an opportunity to be a guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Mixon. 6'1", 228, ran a 4'4", 5". Elliott, 6'2", 225, ran a 4'4", 7". And look how we viewed those guys coming in. It was like, this is a horse. You know what I mean? Like, this is an ironclad first-round pick. And I'm just kind of feels like Charbonnet is getting lumped into the, the could be, but quite isn't. Yet, you kind of zoom out, and you're like, damn, that could be one of the outliers in this class that I'm excited to see how he runs. And, you know, he'll probably run like a, a four, five, eight. And we're like, here, right, here's fine. my question, though. With the way the game is, like – Brian Robinson profiled like that, right? That was Brian Robinson last year. I think B Rob ran what? Did he have like a, he ran like a four or five something at 220 pounds at six foot? I mean, he looked like a dude and he got, he was six out. foot 224, ran a four, five, three. Cause so I could see that being Charbonnet too, where he's just a yes. tick below, mm-hmm. but he's still worthy of a third round pick. And you know, wherever he goes, like someone's probably preparing to give him a workload of some sort. So, but here's my question though. Would you would you rather that guy, the compiler, right? Sure. In a, and let's just stick with standard like PPR. No point per carry, none of that stuff. Just your PPR lead. You get the guy who's going to command, potentially command 15 to 20 touches out of the backfield, turn around and hand in the ball. Or with the way the game is changing with speed, with the explosive plays, if Devon A-Chain lands at a spot where all he's getting is maybe like nine carries a game, nine, nine eight to ten carries – but they're throwing him the ball eight times a game as well. He's going to get his 16 opportunities in different ways, and he's got the skill set to literally take nothing to the house from anywhere on the field. But what, in today's fantasy game, what's more valuable? The guy that you, the guy that they're going to turn around and hand it, hand it to him 15 to 20 times, but he might get a target or two, or the guy that even with eight to 10 rush attempts, if they're going to throw him the ball, and I'm just maybe eight to ten is high, six to eight times a game, so a little more opportunity cost, little little less opportunity for that player. But that player, the Gibbs, the A chain, the Spears, those are the ones that all it may take is one or two, and they just absolutely crushed for you that week. Like, wh- where are we at with what we want on our rosters in today's game? Well, I'm curious, what do you put for Charbonnet in receiving? Because I'm looking at. 93 percentile uh, market share for running backs in college, 70th percentile dominator rating. And I know those don't matter as much for running backs, but at least I would put them in the box of the guy can catch the ball. Now, 
I do think one thing that translates differently in the NFL is teams have specialists that can catch the ball. How many guys have we seen get taken off the field? Even if you go, damn, he's a good receiver. He's not great, but he's good. But I think the biggest factor with that is, does a team immediately pigeonhole a guy as a guy we are not going to play on third downs? Or is it going to be one of these players where we go, okay, we're going to give him, we're going to have to give him his 15 carries, but we're also going to give him like half the third downs. You know, we're just going to give him a shot to be out there. And someone asked this question. I didn't get a final answer on it, but someone posed this question on Twitter the other day. How, what percentage of running back targets in the NFL are designed for the running back? And my quick answer was, it's probably not a lot of them. So who's getting the targets, Ray? A lot of times it's just the guys that the team goes, we're going to keep out there for 75, 80% of the snaps. How, how do you think Leonard Fournette's had a 70 catch season? You know, how did Carlos Hyde have a 60 catch season? You wouldn't look at these guys and go, yeah, really high receiving grades, you know, but they're just out there. So it's kind of like, if I can get one of these guys like Charbonnet, where a team just goes, Hey, we're going to give him half the third downs. Even if we're not running a play for him, we're just going to let him be out there for 80% of the snaps. That guy's going to get receptions. I mean, Chris Carson had 40 catch seasons. That's all I'm saying is that there's a big difference between the two down. He's coming off the field on every third down like Brian Robinson did. Or, hey, we're going to give him 40, 50% of the third downs. He's going he's gonna to fall into 50 catches. So I think there's a difference there. And maybe that's where landing spot's going to matter a lot for Charbonnet. If he's on a team with a Kenneth Gainwell and a J.D. McKissick, he's probably fucked. You know, they're going to put the other guy out there. But maybe he's on a team where there's not another guy, and they go, you know what, we're going to ease this guy in and give him half the third down work right away. I don't know. I'm looking at the teams right now, and I think we can count on one hand the teams that just leave the running back on the field and they're just out there. For like every, Literally, I'm looking at the list of teams – Every last one of them. And I think that's the evolution of the game. A, when you have somebody that has a unique skill set to be in there, and I've always said this since the time I started Destination Debbie, there's a can Zach Charbonnet catch the ball? Absolutely. I mean, he can catch it, but there's a difference between a running back that can catch the ball and a running back that a team can deploy as a pass catching weapon. And is Zach Charbonnet that? Absolutely not. You are never going to see him lined up in the slot or outside to do anything other than be a decoy, right? He does not change the math on the outside. Christian McCaffrey changes the math, completely change. When he lines up outside, it fucks up everything that the defense has to do. They're not – Damian Pierce, I'm fully convinced he can throw it. They can He can catch it, but they're not going to ask him to do that. Ramondre Stevenson, he's one of the few, right? Joe Mixon, I – What's crazy about Mixon is he was phenomenal pass catcher at Oklahoma, and he gets the NFL, and they're like, oh, no, we'll take you out on third downs. We'll use somebody else, whether that's to keep the running back fresh, whether that's to change the math of the defense. I don't think Charbonnet can do that. I don't think that is going to be – he's going to be one of those guys where if he gets a dump off, great, but they're not about the design pass plays to go to Zach Charbonnet as you look at, like, the Gibbs, the A-chains, the Spears – um, you know, Kenny McIntosh, uh, Deuce Vaughn, I do believe that those guys will be schemed receptions. Now, you've talked about this a lot, Scott. If that's your only calling card to where all that all I'm banking on is schemed receptions for you, we got a problem. Like, I don't want that to be the only thing that you can do. Um, it's 
I don't have any I don't have any qualitative data to back this, but I'm just looking at the teams and I'm like, oh, Cleveland, multiple backs, Houston, multiple backs, Jacksonville wants to do it, Kansas City, multiple backs, the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Eagles, uh, the, the 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 Buccaneers, the Steelers, the command, like every team outside of Minnesota, the uh, you know. I don't know the Giants. Well, here's you know? I'll give you that right. Here are the team. Here are the running backs last year that played seventy percent or more of their team's running back snaps, and it's a short list. It's Saquon Barkley, it's Christian McCaffrey, it's Josh Jacobs, and it's Dalvin Cook. That's over seventy percent. Not a one of them was over seventy six percent. So this idea of I'm going to get a guy that gets eighty percent of the snaps like that's not happening anymore. You can see it. If you get seventy, you're elite. There was only eight more that were above 60. And I would give you the names, and not one of these are you going to find a James Cook type or something like that. You know, it's Najee, it's Damian Pierce, it's Derrick Henry, it's David Montgomery, it's Joe Mixon, it's Ramondre Stevenson. Like, they're they're all guys that you kind of look, other than Austin Eckler and Alvin Kamara, which... You know, Kamara's a little bit bigger, but Eckler and McCaffrey, like you can kind of look at those guys as like they're they're just outliers. They're always going to be, right? But those other 13 names that are above 60%, every damn one of them is 210, 215 pounds or more. They because part of what the team is doing is they're out there to get all of the carries, but any PPR points they're getting in receptions is a lot of times just because they're out there. Quite simply because they're out there. You know what I mean? So that's the only argument for a guy like Charbonnet, not because I think he's definitely one of those guys, but he's different than Sean Tucker. He's different than some of these other guys. It it feels like, I mean, I like Sean Tucker, but he's like, what, 205 pounds, 208 Mm -hmm. pounds? In what world is – what world is he going to become one of those guys on that list, or is his most likely outcome having to be a – Aaron Jones type like he's gonna have to be damn efficient to end up being like an RB1 you know so which one would you rather bet on I'd probably rather bet on Charbonnet just because he has this other out for him but it's it's interesting this speaks to the the fact that bell cows are dying right what do you need him to be about 215 about 215 minimum 220 what do you get what's the number 215 or 220 I I would say to comfortably make this list I'd want to see 215 or more Uh, there are some outliers but Okay, you know. So if if we're going two fifteen, let me give you the rookie running backs who hit that threshold. Let's say two ten, because there's guys okay. like Kamara on here that you're like, all right, when they when they came in, they weren't, you know. But let's say two ten to be conservative, because I know that doesn't capture many more. Two ten, Bijan Robinson checks the box. Yep. Zach Charbonnet checks the box. Eric Gray checks the box, and I think he's a forgotten name, and people need to pay attention. Kendra Miller, Roshan Johnson, Tank Bigsby. Zach Evans, Kenny McIntosh, and then you've got Izzy, Dwayne McBride, and then after that it's like Mo Ibrahim, Chris Rodriguez, Xavier Valade, Cameron Peoples, Anthony Grant. Like I mean, it's it's not a big list of of guys that are at that two ten two fifteen threshold, and we'll see what Tank Bigsby comes in as. I mean, he's listed at over that, but I don't know if he's that big. But you're looking at Bijan. Charbonnet, Eric Gray, Kendra, Roshan, Evans, Izzy, for the most part. And there's a couple guys in there that you'd probably go, they may be victims of the, we're not putting them out there on third down at all. Correct. So it's like your list now goes from 10 to 
five or six at most. That's Maybe. the only reason I'm selling Charbonnet as just he's different than a lot of the other guys in the class, which I think makes his upside higher as we get to the combine. That Look, was I got really the five. whole point. I got, I got him five in the film. I think he's fantastic. And with that size, with the speed, with the athleticism, like there's no doubt in my mind. Even though Tajay Spears, I have him graded higher than Charbonnet. Charbonnet gets any capital near Spears. It's not even close for me, right? Like it's, I'm going Zach Charbonnet 10 out of 10 times. The only, And you just got to talk me off a ledge, Scott, Eric, I need you. What are we doing with A-Chain? Like seriously, because this is a player who doesn't e- even sniff the 220 range and will never sniff 220. He'll never be 215. He won't be 210. Maybe, maybe if all the stars and the moon and the multiverses align, he could hit 200 pounds. Maybe. But this is a guy who has, and I'm not, and I'm, I, I, he's got gener- he's got world class speed. I mean, the dude is an Olympic level sprinter. Like he is fast. He's a lot better between the tackles that you would think, and he did it in the SEC for multiple years. What are you doing with that profile? What are you doing with A-Chain, who's probably going to be a top 40 pick and get opportunity early? And you know, dynasty market sentiment, the moment he does anything, 160-yard run, and they're like, Jamal Charles 2.0, I need that A-Chain. But he's 50 pounds lighter than Najee Harris. You know, I'm, I always stick to what Scott has shown me in the past about RB ones and what can they do? And it's always the pass catchers that can always be the RB ones. You'll have Derek Henry, these couple outliers, Nick Chubb, these guys that run for almost 1800 yards and 20 touchdowns. And they're the RB one for that year. But if you look back in history, especially with fantasy taking off, I'll say the last 10, 15 years, the RB ones are always the guy who's who catch a shit ton of passes on top of all their rushing work. So if I can get a guy like an a chain, that can just catch the ball. He's got that world class speed like that. I'll take him. I, I'm I'm not scared off by the weight unless it's like really really like 180 pounds kind of weight. Um, as long as he's like 195 to 200, I, I'll be happy with that. Uh, I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm hoping. I, I, I don't think he's going to hit 200. I'll just say that. But well, I mean, you you just look at Chris Johnson, like you said, Jamal Charles. Like, man, those guys with that world-class speed are electric. And if I miss out on a guy because, oh, he, he weighs 190, I, I'll kill myself for it, man. I'll just I'll hate myself just for not taking that guy that I know has that Chris Johnson ability to just take it to the house every single time, and especially with the way things are schemed up now and the zone schemes and the way they block it. He's just going to have wide-open running lanes and certain offenses where he could just use that speed and take it to the house. Here's my worry. Cause I went back and looked at all the running back data from the last, I just used the last seven years just to try to get an idea of some prototypes that we're talking about during this show. Here's the two names that worry me about a chain because his draft capital is going to be good. But I think Ray can also acknowledge his draft capital is going to largely hinge on the fact he has speed. That's, better than any of these guys that are going to be on this list. That's what's getting him second round draft capital instead of fourth round draft capital. If he was a four, three, five guy, he's probably not going in the first two days of the draft. Right? Like it, it's, it's a, it's a trait 
that teams are going to go, we've never seen this before. So we got to bump it up like a round or two where we would typically take a guy that has these skills, but I'm going to throw out two comps that I'm like, all right, physically, they look very similar to a chain. They're not as fast. He's clearly better. But the question you have to ask yourself is what were these guys in college? Cause I think part of why people are buying a chain is because well. He kind of was like a bell cow in college too. Like he wasn't like a gadget player. Like he could handle a workload, right? Right. But then these two comps, I'm looking at him, I'm going, you're going to hear the names and you're going to go gross. But the whole point of the exercise is to hear the names and go, okay, let's be realistic on how far up we're going to move a second round Devon A chain. So Kenneth Gainwell is one. Naheem Hines is the other. Those guys, Harry handled a lot of touches in college. And you're going, okay, I, I don't like those names for A-Chain if I'm going to take him at the late first, early second of my rookie draft, right? Like, you don't love that. But that's basically what we're doing. And I'm not saying those guys are as good as him. But really, how much value in Dynasty do you bump up the fact that he goes in the second round and he has the speed that he has? But you look at a lot of the most efficient running backs from like a per-touch basis in history, there's very few of them that got more than 10 opportunities a game. There's a lot of guys that look like Naheem Hines, Kenneth Gainwell, Dontrell Hilliard is another one. There's a few others on there that were also small. J.D. McKissick. Like, that's how you kind of measure efficiency, but there's efficiency only is effective when you get enough volume to make it relevant, right? Like it's a scale. You got to push it as far as you can. It's like a balloon. You got to blow it up as big as you can until it pops. And when it pops, it's like, all right, we've given this guy too much work and he's not as efficient anymore. So the bang for your buck starts to get lower. So what is that threshold with A-Chain? And, and if I'm going to say it's going to be 10 touches a game, he better be like the most efficient running back ever or it's not going to be good for fantasy. You know what I mean? So I, I get what you're saying, Eric. It's nice to have a guy where I can start. But if I know he's only getting eight touches a game, every game he doesn't hit a home run, he's giving me nothing. Right. And that's the worry. So maybe and he's I, the tank tank Dell of running backs. Yeah. The only I'm one in best on, ball leagues. I'm banking on him having more than, you know, just Same. eight touches a game. But like you said, it, it is a possibility. We got to think about maybe he is Kenneth Gainwell and he's only getting, you know, eight to 10 touches a game. You know, I'm kind of expecting him to get more of the Camara type of role. You know, he might get 11, 12 carries and then hopefully he's getting six, seven, eight catches. Too. The only pushback, though, is Alvin Kamara has played like the last three or four years. He's at a legit 215 pounds. Like he it just doesn't right. feel like he compares to Devon A-Chain at right. all. I, I'm just talking like style of game. So James Cook's best touch game this season, he had 20 opportunities. He had 14 carries and six receptions in that game. He had no other game in his rookie year with more than 14 carries and he didn't have another game this season with more than six targets. Now – I'll just say, I believe that A-Chain is a much better player than James Cook was coming out of Georgia. I think we can all agree to that. Yeah, fair. If I'm just I'm just looking at his raw numbers. If if he's around a 10 carry guy, that's why I said eight to ten carries, five to seven targets. Eight to ten carries, five to seven targets out the gate with his ability to hit that home run. I'm, 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 I, I hear you, Scott, and I think the here's the problem. Here's the problem, and I think this is a big issue in Dynasty overall, and I understand that we're looking for the next RB1, wide receiver one, but the reality is 
that's very that's a very high bar to hit, right? Like, and my expectation for A Chain is never to be a top ten running back, right? Correct. When I'm yes. I, when I'm looking at him, I'm thinking a the format in which I'm playing, and can't is is his if he hits whatever that ceiling is, right? If he's a high end RB two, like will this be able? Is is this a player or an asset that can contribute to my team? Right. And in a meaningful way to where either I want to plug him in my lineup or I can depend on him entering my lineup in a best ball format. And I do think that he could potentially do that. Now, I, I think he's going to be landing spot dependent. I, you know, if he lands in Los Angeles with Eckler and Josh Kelly, I, I don't know what to, th- I, I have no idea. I would have no idea what they're going to do in that because he's not going to be the early down grinder. Uh, and he's not going to be the pass catching back. So it's kind of like, is he just insurance for Eckler? But he lands in a spot, you know, and I don't know the spot off the top of my head, but what if Cleveland drafted him, right? To compliment Nick Chubb. I, I don't know. I don't know if Watson even throws at the running back, but landing spot's going to be very, just like every fucking back in this class, not named Bijan Robinson. I need to see where Jameer Gibbs goes. Now, to Scott's point, bringing it full circle, the ones that I'm kind of not worried about, if Charbonnet hits a spot where all, his only competition is some old running back, like I just have nowhere. I'm like, he's going to probably take over that job sooner rather than later. I don't think A-Chain is ever going to take over a job, but he definitely can be Tony Pollard of of today's NFL. Yeah, I think you probably want to, to sum everything up we both just said regardless of how high he gets drafted, A-Chain probably still goes into the range of uh, all the running backs in that big cluster. He's just a different prototype than those guys are. But I'm not going to go, okay, well, he was an early second round pick, so I'm going to take him a round higher in my rookie draft and I'm going to take Sean Tucker. You know, like he just like overall contribution wise, he still probably belongs in that cluster. I'm going to be real curious to see what his price is. Because there's going to be people in our leagues that are thinking the same way that you are, Ray, and going, dude, give me 10 touches a game minimum, and I want this guy. And then there's other people that are going to go, oh, his BMI is blah, 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 blah. I don't even want it. So it kind of comes back to know your league and try to understand how they're going to prefer the running backs off the board. But it is a – it feels like A-Chain, like you said, with the landing spot, he's a guy I just want to be on a good team. A creative offense where they move the ball consistently. Not one of these dog shit teams where they go, well, we're going to still give him some work, but the offense is going three and out at a 30% rate. Like, just put him on a good team. That's probably what what keeps James Cook relevant. You're banking that the fact that he's on Buffalo, right? They're going to have an offense that runs a lot of plays, and they're efficient, and they can move the ball. And you just hope in any given week he gets swept up into that, you know, whatever fantasy points they score, he gets a chunk of them. So maybe he is more landing spot dependent. You probably do want him on a place like maybe not the Chargers, but, you know, that type of offense. You don't want him on a bad team where they go, yeah, we're going to give him a lot more touches because I don't know if that's going to work out for him. All right. Last topic before we get out of here. I wanted to bring this one up. We got the quarterbacks coming in this draft. So Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson. You're on the clock at the 101 Superflex pick, Ray. (laughs) Who are you taking? You and, they're all, you, and they're all first round picks. All first round picks. Uh, are they all top fifteen picks? Give me, give me some. This is so okay. Let me just say it's Bijan one on one. It's Bijan one on one. Come on. 
Is there a landing spot in which you would take the quarterback 101? No. Detroit. Okay. Detroit. No. no. He's Bijan's too valuable. Too valuable. No, I'm not letting him off the hook that easy. Nope. I'm going to complicate <laughs> the question because Here I'm going to go. say, I'm going to say it's not automatically Bijan 101 because he's the most valuable. Because I think depending on the league you play in, like a Heisman league, some of the leagues we play in, you draft Bijan with the thinking that he's the most valuable. I don't think you're getting no two, three picks for Bijan Robinson in that league. I don't. I don't think it's happening in that one because the sentiment around the running back position in that particular market is not that of the consensus in fantasy space, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I, I hear you, Scott, but is there like in, in a, in, in Royal rumble, I don't think you're getting three picks for B. John Robinson. I don't no, think you it, are. If we're talking Royal rumble, that's not a good example that you use. Cause it's a point per carry. So I would still just take B. John and just let, crush the points. Listen, I, I think we can sit here and say, Oh, are we going to have hot takes and take another quarterback over B. John at one Oh one. Let's just call it the one Oh two. Yeah, how do you te- how do you tier the quarterbacks? How do you tier yeah. the quarterbacks? I don't know. Talk me through it, because I, I don't want to hear Ray's answer. But I just think saying, "Well, I'm going to take somebody over Bijan," it's just not going to fly in most leagues. Okay, that's fair. If Bryce Young went to Detroit, I think people would think about it. I think people would think about it. Ooh, okay. I just okay. said I just said a, a spot inside the top ten in which a quarterback could go where people would think about it, and I think Detroit. If Young went to Detroit, Young, which I don't think he'll fall that far. I think people would think about it. I think that would be a, a real conversation, seeing what Jared Goff was able to do in that offense with those weapons, with Jamison Williams, with Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, more capital. I think people would think about it. Now, Don't you think Stroud applies to the same thing? Because, I, Ray, I think the feeling to me is that Stroud is clearly ahead of Bryce Young, everything else all equal. And you put him in Detroit where you tell him he's going to have a good offensive line, and that's the one worry with people on Stroud. Like, I feel if Stroud went to Detroit, people would go, you know, oh, he checks every box, and now he's in a good spot with a good offense and a good line. Let's go. Either of those two. I think either of those two go to Detroit. There's a conversation for the 101. Um, Now, what what was the 102 with the quarterbacks? This is – this is going to be tough this year because I think all four of the quarterbacks are talented and all four of them have serious warts. And I think in certain situations, the warts could outweigh the talent. So let's just start with Bryce Young. I think he's the best quarterback in the class, just playing the quarterback position. IQ, feel for the game, ice water in his veins. He's also the smallest, and it's and it's by a wide margin. All the other guys are literally six foot three. 215 pounds or heavier. All with Levis, Richardson, and Stroud, all of them 6'3, 215. Bryce is praying that he's six foot and 195 pounds, maybe. Um, Will Levis uh, and Anthony Richardson, in my opinion, are kind of in the same mold. The tools and the traits are out of this world. And if they can be molded and developed and the teams can be patient with those two, I think they both could be difference makers for fantasy. And then you got old C.J. Stroud, who's your more traditional pocket passer, but he fits the prototypical size. Uh, His concerns will be Ohio State quarterbacks have not panned out. And you can go back to uh, Troy Smith, J.T. Barrett, uh, you know, rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins, Cardell Jones. Remember Cardell Jones and all the hype he got during his little run? Cardell Jones. Um, I mean, 
Justin Fields, to a certain degree, people are still like he holds on to the ball too long. Everyone's schemed open. Today, if I had to just like, all right, they're all in the same range. I just, I got to see where they land, man. I'm sorry. That's a cop-out answer. This is not like, (laughs) this is not like 2021 where it was Trevor Lawrence. I don't care. I love me some Justin Fields. At least it was T-Law or Fields. And you just knew that, right? And the battle was for who's two, three, four. I, I, you listen to, I listened to Bucky and Jeremiah today and they crapped all over A-Rich. They had Tanner McKee and Hendon Hooker above both of them. Of Levis, uh, 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 Hendon Hooker ahead of Levis. And then Hendon Hooker and Tanner McKee ahead of Anthony Richardson. So, and I, I do believe that more quarterbacks are ruined in the NFL than they are developed. And if you don't hit a spot where the the staff is competent enough to put you in situations to be successful, to be patient with you, then you will fail at quarterback. And I think there's a greater likelihood, as much as I love Richardson, the tools and the traits, if I'm being honest, there's a higher probable outcome of him hitting a spot and not developing and failing than I think C.J. Stroud has, right? I, I just, if if C.J. Stroud fails, it's not going to be because he can't fucking play quarterback and he can't throw the ball. He just, he will have just happened to stink at, at the NFL level, right? If Bryce Young fails, I don't believe it's going to be because he can't deliver the ball. He can't put it in tight windows. He can't throw deep. It's going to be because he's too short. Like, Richardson, the hurdles that he and Levis have to overcome, right? I think that I, I think they're a, a little more exasperate. They're, they're a little more magnified than the other two. So right now, if I had to rank them off of safety and comfort, I would probably say CJ Stroud, Bryce Young are one and two. And then I would just, at that point, there is no comfort with Levis or Richardson. If I were being comfortable, I'd probably say Hendon Hooker, but I, I just can't get on board with that at this point in time. If I just want to shoot for maximum upside, Anthony Richardson is QB1 for me. If I'm just shooting for the freaking stars and I'm like, all that this quarterback costs me doesn't cost me three startup picks, doesn't cost me five future first-round picks. All this costs me is one singular 104 or 105 or hell, the 103. I'll just take Anthony Richardson because that's all it cost me. But this is one where I think everybody in the world, I don't think there's going to be a fantasy analyst out there that feels comfortable dropping their quarterback ranks until after the draft. Because I think all every one of them want to know where the hell these guys end up. Everybody. And yeah, we talked about sense. we've talked about many times, Ray, where I think I'm very confident saying if I had to rank them right now, Will Levis is fourth. Even me being a Kentucky guy, he's fourth simply because I know the type of asset I'm getting. I know the type of asset where 95% of people you you've run into already are, are destined that the guy's terrible and he's a bust. So just from the pure like asset appeal standpoint, forget about where he could land. He could go one Oh one and it could be Shane Steichen that trades up to get him. And they're going, this is our next Jalen hurts. This is our next Josh Allen. And everyone will go. That's bullshit. I don't believe him. You know what I mean? So like it, it could be, and knowing the irony of dynasty, it'll probably be Will Levis that gets the sweetest, highest draft capital, sweetest landing spot, which will make our jobs even harder to analyze because guys like Ray and I will fall into the Will Levis trap and go, well, you know, maybe he will hit that outlier outcome. And then if he doesn't, it's going to be the people going, yeah, I knew he was terrible since he was in college. But I think from an analysis standpoint, you got to put him forth, right? You guys agree with that? 
Yeah. He's fourth right now. And there's, there's not a lot that I can forecast happening to where he's a consensus, like one or two, if not even three. Richardson could fall to the late first and go to a terrible spot and he could fall down as far as Levis. But I still feel like people would go, they both suck. I'll just take Richardson because he has higher outcome or as he has a higher ceiling. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really the one Oh one or the, 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 the one, two, three. Where are you at, Eric? Because I got a lot of shit on our trades in five when I talked about Anthony Richardson as my 102 over Bryce Young. And people are just like, you've lost your mind. There's no way this guy can even go in the first round, and I'm, you're taking him at 103. Like, unfollow. You know what I mean? Right. Where are you at? So I agree with both of you that it's going to depend on landing spot. But if I just use landing spots from – we'll just use Dane Brewer's latest mock. Indianapolis Colts trade up to pick one and took Bryce Young. Pick two, the Houston Texans took Will Levis. Uh, C.J. Stroud went number five. Carolina traded up to get C.J. Stroud at five. And then Anthony Richardson went at 15. Uh, Detroit traded up a couple picks. And Anthony Richardson went to Detroit. People would lose their minds. Yeah, so if I use just just those landing spots, man, I I think I would probably agree with you guys and take Richardson number one, even if he has to wait a year. And it's Jared Goff is fine. There's nothing wrong with Jared Goff. He's an average NFL quarterback. He's going to be dynasty quarterback 16 to 20, somewhere in there. And you can win fantasy matchups with Jared Goff. There's nothing wrong with him. They can ride out his contract one more year. And Anthony Anthony Richardson could sit the whole year, and he'll be just fine. I think I would take that upside chance and that offense with the way that offensive line is built. I love Jamison Williams. I love a lot of their other weapons that they have as well. I'm, you know, Amon Ra. I think I'm going to go with Anthony Richardson there. I think I, I think I would agree with you guys. And I know that's kind of a contrarian take right now, but man, he has some massive upside there. Why then, is it contrarian? Why is why is that contrarian? When we've I, seen these type of quarterbacks, uh, like what is contrarian about it? Why? I don't why think it- that would be contrarian, Ray. I think the the masses would love that spot for Anthony Richardson because the pressure would be off him having to play right away. Right. Everyone, even you know, e- even if you don't pay attention, you would hear of the narrative of that is a perfect fit with Jared Goff. He can wait a year. He can sit. Doesn't have to get forced into action early on. Is it, that it's not a basically- detriment though, Scott? Because uh, uh, Eric and I'll ask you. Well, why, why, why draft him with the 102 or the 103 if he's got to sit a year? Just buy him later. I promise you, if I draft him, you're not going to fucking pry him off my hands. Like, it, I'll just- Ray, it's, it's not. it Because you know what? We learned from Trey Lance, who that situation sounds a lot like what? Trey Lance, right? When he started with Jimmy G and he's in San Fran, everyone liked the landing spot. Trey Lance's ADP actually went up after the first year. Why did it go up? Because I think he didn't play. People are like, well, he still has that same upside. He didn't play. Mm-hmm. So I think that that landing spot actually would be most beneficial to Richardson just in the way that his value would track. The worst thing for Anthony Richardson would be he goes to the Raiders. And week three, they're like, get out there and start. You know what I mean? Because then if he plays and isn't good, the stink is, the stink is on right there. That's yeah. where I'd feel uncomfortable picking the picking them at the 103 or the 104 because now there's going to be people that go, yeah, I don't want him anymore. 
I give you a late first. You know what I mean? I think it was Bucky Brooks' uh, mock draft that he put out, or it's uh, Lance Airlines, one of the two. But they had him going 19 to Tampa Bay, and I think he would just have to start right away if he went there. And I don't, I don't like that. I I want him to go somewhere where he is sitting behind somebody, even if it's for half a season. And, and, you know, learn a little bit. I just think if he went to, like, Tampa Bay and was forced to start, like, I don't see them. You know, you think they're going to really start Kyle Trask or Blaine Gabbard over Anthony Richardson and after seeing him in practices? There ain't no way. Fan well, Ray, let, me ask you, let me ask you this question, Ray. How much does it actually matter, that early narrative on whether they play or not right away, versus the coaching staff's ability to nurture a young quarterback? meaning like people will look at a Tampa Bay landing spot and go, oh, they're going to have no choice but to play him. But is it really that's what ruins a quarterback? Is it playing early that ruins a quarterback? Or is it just like complete mismanagement of the process from the beginning that ruins a quarterback? Because it feels like a guy could play earlier than what you think, but kind of learn on the job and not get ruined. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm just curious that you're like a minute long thoughts on that. So it just depends on the quarterback, man, it really does. Some of these guys are are mentally weak. They're mentally fragile. And um, and I'm just going to be honest with you because I know the player, and it was a player who was drafted in the first round, and I know him, and he was mentally weak. And I'm talking about Jalen Rager. And when things got south for him early, like just mentally he was just off. He was always looking at social media, always worried about what everybody was saying to him. And – you see this across every sport where players get in a mental funk. Like they just, you hear it a lot with baseball, right? And guys are just, they're, they're mentally, they got to go, they've got to go down to like triple A, double A just to go ding off of, you know, ding homers off of, just to get their swing back. Like I got to work on things to get my swing back. Basketball players like, you know, Ben Simmons, you see it now where players are, these are the greatest athletes in the world and he's terrified to shoot a free throw. Doesn't want to drive to the lane to get fouled because he doesn't want to have to go to the line and airball free throws. I think the quarterback position. I'm. I'm. Te- one of the things that I really noticed in during the Senior Bowl is during the the inside team drills, standing behind the quarterbacks and watching. And I played in college, y'all, but watching all the shit that's happening in front of the quarterback from snap to the two seconds in which they've got to t- deliver the ball. I don't know how they do it. Like I legit, I'm standing back there and I'm like, not only are you have to worry about your bad offensive line up front, you got to be paying attention to safeties, linebackers dropping in coverage. You, you've got four reads. You got to check like to do all of that. You can get ruined. And if you throw somebody out there, that's not mentally ready to handle that because they hadn't seen it. They could break down. They, they they can lose confidence. They get you watch it happen in the NFL, even with good players. What happens when when Mahomes look at the Cincinnati game last year when Mahomes started getting rattled and they were dinging him? I mean, he's he's leaving a clean pocket, running around, getting sacked, pushing his team out of field. Like it even it happens to the great ones where Mac Jones was a perfect example of that this year. You watch Mac play football and it it Everyone's like, oh, the, the 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 offense changed when they brought in Bailey Zappi. Mac Jones from set hut to getting the ball, he's look, he's already panicking. Like, I know there's going to be pressure. I have nowhere to go. I'm just going to close my eyes and pray and spray, right? 
Then you get Zappy who comes in who nothing to lose, no pressure. I'll just go out there and sling it. Jared Stidham was able to be a, a, a god for a one-week sample size before, before they caught up to him. So I think the, the thing about throwing him out there early is if he's not prepared mentally to handle the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, then, yeah, they can get ruined. I, I, I do sort of think I'm looking at Trey Lance and I'm thinking, was he really ready to step in after one season at NDSU and handle that? And the answer to that question was no, he was not ready. And it doesn't, and it, it doesn't mean looking at their situation now, there is in no world in which I think Brock Purdy is more talented than Trey Lance. But do I think Brock Purdy was more prepared in that moment to be a quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, because he started for four years in college, right? He, he's just seen it. He's been around and he's seen it. Regardless if he's good or bad, he was more prepared to step in in that moment than a young 21-year-old who hadn't seen it. So to answer your question, could A. Ridge do it? I don't know, Scott. From the time he stopped playing high school football to his NFL snap, to his next NFL snap, He's got 13 career starts. Think about that for a minute. From the time he fi- finished playing high school football to the NFL, he's got 13 starts under center. Where and it's and most people think about starting just on game day. It's the things that you have to do in preparation for the game. It's taking the reps and practices to one. It's going through the meetings and preparing and, and analyzing defensive tendencies and formations as the one, not as the backup. Not as the third stringer, but as the guy. And he's only done that 13 times. So, I don't know. The answer to your question, I think it's a case-by-case basis because you throw Justin Herbert out there, he got called into action five minutes before kickoff, and he was just fine, right? Joe Burrow, I mean, say what you want, but the dude, I mean, he's just ready. Just He never seems phased by anything. So, I think it's just a mental makeup of these players, and it's something that, we cannot quantify and there's no way to put some number on there because we just don't know until you throw them out there and see. Yeah, that makes me wonder a little bit with a guy like Levis because I hear a lot of people talk about, well, Levis, you know, he's going to be 24 years old and he needs more time. And I go, a lot of what Ray just said, he he's taken a lot of reps. He started a lot of games. I, if he's not ready, that's probably just, he's just not going to be there. He's not going to get there. It's not going to be he's going to get out on the field and be scared. You know, he's played in 10 games that have bigger crowds and louder crowds than he's going to see in the NFL. He started 30 games almost like that's a guy that if he comes out and you're telling me he needs a year or two, he's just probably not going to get there because they're probably going they're waiting for something that's just never going to happen. You know, so it's weird when you hear like, oh, he needs to sit for a year. If anything, He's the kind of guy you put out on the field in week one and you go, I know he's going to look like shit because maybe he isn't ready because like some of the speed and some of the physical stuff he's not ready for, but he's not going to melt down. And if he melts down, it's just because maybe his decision making sucks and he's just not that great, but it's not going to be, oh, this is a bigger stage. I'm going to get rattled, you know? So I don't know. That's, that's a, one of those questions. I'm sure there's NFL teams have been, I think NFL teams have probably been trying to answer that question for 50 years right and they still don't know the answer otherwise they wouldn't whiff at like a 70 percent rate on quarterbacks but well go look at the uh pittsburgh steelers when they talked about their draft selection of kenny pickett over uh and they almost essentially admitted that they thought malik and some of the other guys were more talented 
from an uh, an arm talent standpoint, but they said that he was he was ready to play. Like he was we we had confidence that he could pick up the playbook and we can put him out there and he wouldn't look lost. Now, that may be true, but his physical limitations were also evident, right? Like he may not have looked lost and rattled, but he still can't make the far hash to far sideline throw. He just can't do it. It's not within his skill set. So um, the, the one thing that I think will, will help Anthony Richardson, right? Because I don't think Jalen Hurts, you go back to Jalen Hurts' rookie season where he started the last four games for Philly. He had two really good games and two awful games. But the one thing that Hurts and Levis have that should aid with their progression in the NFL is if shit breaks down, they can run. And that's that is something that a lot of some quarterbacks don't have that within their in their skill set. Mac Jones, things break down. There is no running. I mean, he's he's a sitting duck back there, right? Richardson and Levis, and more so Anthony Richardson, if things break down, he can utilize his legs to extend the drive, to get another set of downs, to get another crack at it. What hurt Malik Willis this year, besides the fact that he wasn't a good thrower of the football, is he was an awful runner. And that's what a lot of Titans fans said. Well, at least he can run. But he, it, it, you look at his rushing efficiency metrics. He was awful, awful rushing quarterback. So I think those are that those are that's one skill set that when the X's and O's break down, a rich will be able to take off and run. All right, good stuff, guys. Um, before we get out of here, Ray, you want to play uh, America's favorite game with us? Before we get out of here, let's do it. All right. So this is a uh, one I saw on Twitter today at work. Um, I think it was the um, – oh, what the hell? Why am I blanking on their name? But one of the Debbie shows was going on about their favorite comedy show, and they missed one comedy show on there that I just thought was just out of my out of my mind. I couldn't believe that it wasn't on there. So there's my question, you guys. Favorite comedy show, TV series, whatever. Am I answering first or Scott? You're going, no, you're going first. Eric really should answer first because he's the only one that knew the damn topic coming in. I had yeah, no yeah, clue. Yeah. Who, what's your favorite, Eric? What's your favorite? They didn't have the Chappelle show on the best comedy oh. shows of all time. And they went five rounds with three different people. Oh, and they didn't they have didn't Chappelle have, show? Oh, they yeah, didn't that's... have Chappelle show on there at all. And I just thought that was crazy. Crazy town. So, yeah, Chappelle show, even though it was only two seasons – Best comedy show of all time, hands down. Could never get away with it in today's age, but no. I was no. glad I was around when I was like in high school and uh, out of high school to watch that. So Chappelle show, easy. That's a good one. Um, Chappelle show's definitely up there. I, I think back in the day, and I don't watch it anymore, but back when I was in high school, Family Guy was so good. Like back in the day, Family Guy was phenomenal. Um, of course, Martin for me is up there. Um, I think the most quotable for now and like today's time, I think The Office. I know there's a lot of people who talk The Office versus Parks and Rec. I just started Parks and Rec, so I don't know. But The Office is just, I mean, I, I can go through every season and just give you freaking clippable moments from Dwight Schrute alone. Just Dwight <laughs> Schrute and his... Uh, I think the office has to be up there. Martin, I agree with you with Chappelle show. I'm going to give you a a, 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 a one that's off the beaten path that came on Cartoon Network a long time ago. I don't know if it was only 15 minute episodes, but Aqua Teen Hunger Force was fucking hilarious. I don't know if anybody's watched. It's with a cup, a shake, uh, a, a, a thing of French fries and a meatball, but Aqua Teen Hunger Force 
was freaking fantastic um back in the day um i, I still watch aqua teen hunger force to this day so here you go all right, Scott, round us up. This is a tough one. There's so many that have come to my mind. Like, I go back to, like, my childhood and think of some of the ones that I watched when I was a kid. I mean, not not even counting, like, the age of the, like, South Park and the office and that kind of stuff. Um, man. All right, I'll, I'll, I'm going to name three that just come to mind from when I was a kid. So I always watched Married with Children when I was little. Oh. Like, that to me, that was just hilarious. Um, that the Al Bundy character is hilarious. Again, another show that would never fly today. That's for sure. Um, for some reason, I always used to watch, if you remember the old like WB network way back in the day, mm -hmm. uh, just a ton of shows on there, but I always would, for some reason, I love watching the Wayans brothers. You ever mm -hmm. watch the Wayans brothers when it was on there? I think it was only on for like two or three seasons, but for some reason, like that show was, I liked that show better than Fresh Prince, even though they were on at the same time. So there's that, and then, man, the third one I was going to say, I, I watched so much Simpsons when I was little, but I don't even want to say that, because it, it almost morphed into it wasn't even, like, super funny. Hmm. I think I'll just stick with those two. Those are the two that came to mind immediately, so I'm not going to expand, because otherwise I'd talk for five more minutes. Bernie Mac show for me. But I love Bernie Mac show. Right. Fucking Bernie Mac show. Yeah, that's awesome. up there. I watched yeah. that, too. An, an old classic, and you guys will laugh at me. I did watch this. Uh, a bunch. Sanford and Son, always a good show too. Yeah, I'm not laughing yeah. at you. That's a good. Okay. They don't make shows like that anymore. They don't make like comp. No. They're these the new ones. And again, for all good reason. But back, I, I was watching. Um, <laughs> I was watching in Keenan and Kel the other day, and uh, I'm not gonna repeat what they said in the show, but I'll just say. They went to a Chinese restaurant for food and um, I'm watching it and I'm like, I stopped what I was doing because this, I was like, this would not fly today at mm -hmm. all. And this was like on Nick. I'll just leave it at that. I was like, no way this they'd get away with this. But, um, you know, it's, um, you know. Dude, that's Times all those shows from like the 90s and the 2000s where you look back and you're like, there, there were so many references to stuff that you're like that if they, that you can just picture that clip getting thrown up on twitter or like tiktok and it's like this show's over they wouldn't even it wouldn't even it would be done yep. remember the old terrell owens uh was it the super bowl commercial where it was him in a locker room and it was a yes. towel yeah, it was i'm the, just like they did that before monday night football one night that was like the lead into monday night football <laughs> just like this shit would never fly today you know nope. like no before. yes yeah yeah, I remember that. So, all right, guys. Uh, thanks, Ray, for being on here, man. Appreciate it. Make sure you guys sign up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash allgas. You get all those film uh, reviews that I was talking about earlier, man. Ray's been knocking them out every single week. We do them every Wednesday night. Man, they've been great. Um, I learn a lot from them. You know, for two, I think it's two years now that I've been watching them. You know, it really helps me out in my rookie draft. So make sure you guys sign up just for that alone. Um, just to see the the film reviews is just awesome stuff. So I appreciate that you do that, Ray. You do some really good stuff on there, man. So appreciate it. Thank you, E. Yeah, no problem. And then, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Eric Vanek NFL. You can find the uh, the pod at America's Game Pod as well on Twitter. And then Scott, what do you got coming up on uh, Destination Devi this coming week? 
I wish I owned Destination Devi, but I don't. Destination, Destination Dynasty. Dynasty. But uh, no, I, I have. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to do a a startup, kind of like a mock startup, but it's not going to be necessarily like a mock draft. I'm just going to talk through. This is my ideal way to start a startup, and that's what this week's show is going to be about. So I'll talk about like trading up, trading back. If it went perfectly in a utopian world, what would it look like? And I'm going to use some trade calculator data to show that it's possible. Now, whether you're going to be able to pull it off or not, that's another story. Uh, but that's what this week's show is going to be. And then uh, just quick, uh, we're going to be doing uh, Destination Dynasty and 4D Chess are going to be doing a collaboration for I don't know how many episodes it's going to be, but we're going to run through the entire roster construction series again but we're going to cater it towards best ball and I'm going to have those guys on and we're going to talk about that. So it's definitely is a different animal when you're talking best ball strategy at each one of the positions versus lineup. Uh, but I wanted to collaborate with them because I mean, those guys are uh, the majority of their leagues are best ball. So no, no better guys to have on and talk through that. So we'll, we'll be doing that going forward this spring as well. Nice. Nice. Good stuff. That'll be a uh, really good stuff for best ball, especially. So if you guys are in any best ball leagues, make sure you listen to that. That'll be really good stuff from Adam and Mike and Scott. So that'll be a good collaboration. Hey, so. can I, can I just say one little piece of uh breaking news, not really breaking news, but as we get out of America's game, um, it was just tweeted out and we kind of already know this, but Packers have all but moved on from longtime quarterback, Aaron Rodgers via Ty Dune and Bob McGinn they are more confident than ever to start Jordan Love with his ability to lead. So Green Bay looks like they are uh, pivoting to the Jordan Love era as, uh, as we as we get out of here. Quick thoughts on that one? I think you can kind of look at Jordan Love and Trey Lance as I'm kind of slotting them in as like the fifth and sixth quarterback in this rookie class. Fair or not. But, you know, you compare them to like someone like Will Levis, who's going to be 24. I think you can throw both those guys in there and go, you could at least sell yourself on paying a late first for one of those guys and kind of just count them as part of this quarterback class because they're both, if they're going to start, they're both going to be basically starting brand new in 2023. So that that's my initial thoughts. I don't have any Jordan Love, so to me it's like it'll be yeah. interesting to see where the market goes on him. Yeah, I don't have any Jordan Love either. I would say – he will end up on an AFC team because I don't think they're going to trade him to the NFC. So I would say the Jets are probably the favorites to land him. So that's <sighs> who I think where, where he'll end up going. Yep. All right. That's it for this week, guys. Thanks uh, again, Ray, for joining us. And we'll see you guys uh, again next week. Mm-hmm.